Let's open our Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter one. I've entitled the morning's message, The Mystery of the Ages. And I wanna warn you ahead of time. You better be good at flipping your Bible because we're gonna be flipping it a lot this morning. And the reason we are doing so is we're gonna be comparing scripture with scripture. And in order to do that, we have to look at a lot of scriptures. So we're in Colossians. This morning we will finish Colossians chapter one and we'll look at several different topics. Number one, we'll look at the preeminence of Jesus in redemption. Number two, the issue of the doctrine of dual covenancy. And that is, in a nutshell, a covenant for Israel and a covenant for the church. We'll talk about that. Number three, uh, the doctrine of eternal security and free will. Number four, the preeminence of Jesus in the church. Those were the verses that Paul wrote for us earlier. And then, just what is the mystery of the ages? But before we go into where Paul read, we left off last week in verse 18, so let's go to verse 19 and start there and make our way up to our text. For it pleased the Father that in him, Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. Now it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. Um, The Greek word there, fullness, is uh, pleorma. This is one of the most important words in this epistle. Over in Philippians, it was the word kenosis. That is, it emphasized that Jesus emptied himself and became a servant. He emptied himself of the glory that he had with the Father. He didn't empty himself of his deity. He was God when he came to this earth. And uh, Pleroma, the fullness, fullness of God, dwells in him. So when Jesus came down to the earth, the Pleroma was at home in Jesus, and he was 100% fully God, and yet 100% fully man at the same time. Verse 20, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So what it doesn't say here. It does talk about him reconciling all things, but that needs to be clarified because it says all things in heaven and on earth, but the point that I want to make, not under the earth. So reconciliation, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, you will notice that Paul limits the all things that are appointed to reconciliation. He doesn't mention things under the earth. Uh, in Ephesians 1.22 it says, And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all to the church. What are the all things that are going to be put under his feet? Well, in Philippians Paul wrote, That at the name of Jesus Christ every day should bow, things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. 
Notice that all things are, are going to acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ. All things are in heaven. Ever run across somebody that's not born again and they say, well, I believe in Jesus. And one of my favorite comes back is, well, so do the devils. They know he's God. They say he's God. Doesn't mean they're saved. So um, it goes on to say things in heaven and things in earth are reconciled to God, but not things under the earth. The things under the earth will have to bow to him, but they are not reconciled to him at all. This is the place and this is the life in which we need to be reconciled to God. So as we get through, let's look now at verse 21, which says, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled. Um, When I think of this, um, I think of my... (laughs) pre-born again days. And when it says uh, here, uh, we were alienated and uh, we were full of wicked works, I'm glad the scripture says that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So he took a dirty old hippie from the 60s and got him born again. And I was a product of the 60s, so I was involved with what the 60s were involved in. And they were wicked and they were evil and um, part of the Jesus movement. And I look back, and um, believe me, if the Lord can use me, uh, he can use anybody. And I know I've told you this before. I was terrified of public speaking, so I made a deal with the Lord. I need to get saved. I need to have my sins forgiven. But none of this public speaking stuff. (laughs) Don't you think the Lord has a sense of humor? I mean, my friends completely blew me off. Uh, friends that I've known for years and years, friends I used to deal with. And they, they would come up, they'd visit my friend Pat, who's now, um, he blew me off completely. He says, well, I'll never become a Christian because I see how it screwed you up. Uh, he's a missionary now in Africa. <laughs> he's got one of the most incredible testimonies you'd, you'd ever hear. And that's most of you know Pat and, and know his story. But the idea here is that once we were, we were alienated. Um, there were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind. This reminds us that there's a mental alienation from God as well as a moral alienation. A great many people think that men are lost because they have committed terrible sins. The reason people are lost is that their minds are alienated from God. And there's not any good people. Does that offend you? <laughs> There's none righteous, no, not one. Yeah, but he's such a nice guy. No, he's not. Well, my heart says he's a nice guy. Well, your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? You're deceived. Because what's the motive driving what you're doing and why are you doing it? And um, if you're in the Lord, well, there, there are things that we do for the Lord and we want him to receive all the praise and all the glory. Well, the Bible says even if you give a glass of water, I miss Paul Malm, by the way, because he's always bringing me out a glass of water. I said, you're just selfish. You just want more treasure in heaven. I know you don't. You're not fooling me one bit, Paul. And uh, he says, yeah, you're pretty smart. But um, 
Um, it says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Um, because your heavenly father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And that's how we're supposed to do our good works. So that he gets the glory and nobody even knows. I'm working with somebody right now with, with somebody in the church that needs some help and that sort of thing. And um, the condition was just don't let them know it's coming from me. Tell them it's coming from the church. And I said, you're smart. Smart man. Storing your treasures up in heaven. Okay, let's continue on to verse 22. Where it tells us, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable in his sight. Um, this speaks to me, and back in 21 I wanted to, this, this alienated part, I wanted to quote Second Corinthians 5.21, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. It says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, you're considered completely white as snow as far as the Lord is concerned. You have the righteousness, and this is gonna tie into just what is the mystery of the ages. And we'll read a little bit later that it's Christ in you, the hope of glory, even though I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. It's a mystery, though, and we'll explain why it's a mystery when, when we get to those verses that we're reading. The great exchange, he took my sin, it was forgiven, he was forsaken. Um, But he was only forsaken momentarily by the Father. And um, he took our sin, forgave our sin. Isaiah said it pleased the Father to bruise the Son. Why? Because in so doing he purchased you or purchased whosoever will. For God so loved the world that whosoever, well, you're whosoever. And free will is gonna tie in quite a bit to our our study this morning as we get deeper into it. Uh, So when we get down to verse 23, I'm just gonna read the first part of it here. It says, if you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. I want to zero in on the words, if indeed you continue, and before I continue, um, I'll ask uh, this question, and to get to it, we need to establish two different doctrines. Um, the first one, we'll call it um, being eternally secure. And I want to give you the two scriptures in the Bible that talk about eternal security. So turn with me, first of all, to the book of Romans chapter 8. And this is where we're going to start comparing scripture with scripture. Romans 8 is a very f- famous one that deals with this, looking at verses 38 and 39. It says, yet in all these things, verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able 
to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Clear enough? Now, if we just had that for a scripture, um, you can build a doctrine very easily. And let's compare that now with the more famous one, which comes from the book of Ephesians. So let's flip over there real quick. Ephesians chapter one. I'm looking at verses 13 and 14. Also a very strong verse that deals with being eternally secure. Ephesians 1 verse 13 says, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of the glory. Some of my best friends, world-renowned Bible teachers, will stand up and declare eternal security, and they will often make the statement, if you're sealed, how can you become unsealed? You're sealed. And so both Romans and Ephesians lay a pretty good foundation, but if we're reading now in Colossians, we come across this little word, and it says, if you continue, my question is, if that's the case, well, it's just this one verse here, Dwight, that says that, and you're gonna um, talk about it. What we have here, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God, except yourself. You see, you still have free will. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, so just hold on to that thought, but before I do, I wanna show you other places in the Bible that talks about this big little word, if. And so we're gonna be jumping around here a little bit. So let's begin. Uh, One of the guys read this verse in men's prayer yesterday, and I said, well, thank you very much for reading that. I'm gonna read it tomorrow. So let's turn to Hebrews uh, chapter three and six. First of all, in chapter three, I'm looking at verses 12 through 15, where Paul says, Beware, brethren, so he's talking to somebody who's saved, brother, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Why make the statement unless it's possible to actually have that happen? But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, for we have become partakers of Christ, notice, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast till the end. So there we have that word if again. If you continue and stay steadfast. Turn over to Hebrews chapter six, just a page away. Uh, Verses four through six. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, spirit-filled believers, have tasted the good word of God and the power of the ages to come, there it is again, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucified again for themselves the Son of God 
and put him to an open shame. Let me just say, speaking for myself and myself only, I am eternally secure. I'm not sure about everybody watching or listening, but I know I am, because I have no plans on going anywhere. I want to go home. This old body just isn't what it used to be, and it groans, and um, um, the world is falling apart. It's getting so terrible that I just want to go home. And I know a lot of you feel the same way. Let's continue on with comparing Scripture with Scripture. Go to the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. Everybody, everybody here is pretty familiar with it. The Lord is likening the seed, which is the word of God, to four different types of ground. And um, the parable itself is given in verses 1 uh, through 9. The first stone fell upon um, the seed, uh, fell by the wayside. It says the birds came and devoured it, didn't get in any dirt. The second one uh, fell on stony path, which did not have much earth. It immediately sprang up, but it didn't have any depth of the earth. You ever hear the Christianese where it says rooted and grounded? Oh, that guy fell away because he just wasn't rooted and grounded. He didn't get... The word didn't go deep into his life. And the third one got caught up with, um, um, didn't have any root, and it was scorched, and some fell on thorns. In other words, the garden wasn't weeded, and the weeds choked out the fruit. The last one is a good one, because the seed fell on a good ground, and uh, it produced a crop of a hundredfold, uh, some 60 and some 30. Well, the disciples come to the Lord and say, Lord, what in the world are you talking about? And so he gives the definition of the parable. Uh, I'll pick it up in verse 19 or 18. He says, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone, anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. Any person that I pray with to receive Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, I don't tell them, wow, you, you're, you got a maid in a shade, healthy, wealthy, and no more, it's going to be a rose garden. No, I don't. I say the very first thing that's going to happen now that you're born again is now you have two natures, not just one. And this one over here hates this one over here. And this one over here hates this one over here. And we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But that only happens after you're born again. I tell them straight out, I don't know how it's going to happen. But either your wife is going to say to you, you became a what? Or the guys at work are going to look at you. Don't tell me you became one of those holy rollers, did you? And there's going to be that opposition. And there will be people that are not happy. I lost, I lost all my friends until they started getting saved. And um, so then it gets to the part, the next one, that I wanted to dwell on. He who received the word on stony place, that is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. He heard the word of God and uh, he receives it. And... Um, Yet he had no root 
in himself, but endured only for a while. Well, here's my question. The Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. My question here is if he believed the word with joy, was he saved? And I would have to say yes, until what? Well, this, is what, this is, again, isn't what he signed up for. He said, I, I didn't know that there was gonna be suffering or tribulation, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So my question is, was he saved? I would have to say categorically yes. I believe you're instantly saved when you say, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But there's trials. There's difficult times that come. And so what we're doing right now is comparing scripture with scripture. Let's go to Revelation chapter two, which my Bible is open to. And we have the church of Ephesus. And we have in, in um, verse 20, the Lord giving an explanation to John about what he just saw. It says, the mystery of the stars, which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the seven angels. Um, Anglios is the, the Greek word there, which I mean the messenger, probably the pastor of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. So we have this, Meaning, each one of these churches is represented with a lampstand. And he says to the church of Ephesus, and they had all these great programs going on, and um, they were against false doctrine, and, and so on and so forth. But then in verse four he says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You've left your first love. I saved you to be my bride. Not for you to go around and do all these good works, even though we should do good, good works. I haven't asked for an amen yet this morning. Should we be going around doing good works? That's why we're having a spaghetti dinner for Haiti and, and an auction and so on and so forth. Um, the Bible says if it's in your ability to help somebody in need and you don't do it, then how does the love of God dwell in you? It should, works don't save us. Works prove that we are saved and we just naturally do them because it's Christ in us. So he tells them repent or else, or else what? I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Well, what does that mean? I'll let you decide by yourself. Unless you repent, I'm removing you from the lampstand. If you look at chapter three, and we're looking at the church of Sardis, verse five. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and then he throws this in there. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life. And my question is, why say it if it couldn't happen? He's saying, I will not blot your name out of the book of life. Well, the implication is that your name could be blot out. How? You have a free will. The Bible teaches eternal security, but the Bible also teaches all these other scriptures that we just went through that have this little word, if, in them. Nothing can separate me from the will of God. All right, now I'm gonna tell a personal story. And um, before I tell the story, I want you to know that I called the family ahead of time, and I want to use as, as an example this story. 
but I wanted the family's permission. So I called them, and um, they said, absolutely, please do share it. And the personal story is really about a, a person who was a part of Calvary Chapel of Appleton for many, many years. Worked in a local Christian bookstore. And the reason for the phone call to the family is before I told the story, I wanted their perspective on this person's walk with the Lord. Here were my questions. Was this person really born again? Absolutely. Um, You're sure of that? I lived with him. He's my relative. We have no doubt at all that he is saved, born again, filled with the Spirit. And then what happened is he chose to live the gay lifestyle. And he's married to a gay man today. Now there's a reason I'm telling this story, but we need to go to 1 Corinthians chapter six, which I also just opened up to. Again, the issue is what? Eternal security versus your free will And I'm using this person as an example this morning to show he was definitely saved. Family members said, absolutely, no doubt about it. And yet, he chooses of his own free will to live the gay lifestyle, even marrying another gay man. Now, what I'm about to tell you is, he's deceived. If you look at that verse, chapter six, verse nine, it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicator, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. But it doesn't end there. It goes on to say, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, what's that saying? It's saying that a person who is living the homosexual gay lifestyle can get washed. In other words, you can be living that lifestyle and get saved. That's why Paul says here, and such were some of you. Having said that, um, you can come out of that lifestyle and be saved, but you can't be saved and go into that lifestyle. And that's what's being taught here. And to me, this is um, evidence you have to compare scripture with scripture when you're talking about eternal security. There are other verses that put a big condition on that. And the big condition is if you continue. This person who we know for sure, born again, no doubt about it, is not going to heaven. Well, that means he lost his salvation, yeah. That's because he, wasn't, he didn't continue in the faith. Or he may deceive himself. I'm very concerned for the church today. They're openly saying that you can come to our church and uh, we'll accept you and your agenda the way you are. Well, I'll say the same thing here. You are welcome to come to this church. But I'll guarantee you you're not going to stay more than two weeks. And I'm not going to be the one removing you you won't be able to handle the Bible studies, okay? And there's gonna be a very hard time finding fellowship. And um, so I'm gonna leave that with that story, but I think it, it shows that you can 
be born again, and you can still lose your salvation. How? By exercising your free will. I could, Chuck always tells the story, and I, this is not in my notes, but I got a little extra time, of Charles Templeton. He was the Billy Graham of Canada. 3,000 people a week, an evangelist. And he preached just as long as Billy did. He was actually more famous one time than Billy Graham. But he was Canadian. Charles Templeton was his name. And he did this, I don't know, 30 plus years, something like that. And then he had a big problem. We talked about this last week. You know the gap theory between Genesis 1 and 2? that there's this long time. In his own intellect, he could not reconcile um, that he believed in his pride and arrogance that it took billions of years. But here, you know, the Bible says only six. And it became such an issue with him, he renounced everything. And he wrote a book, and he says, Why I Left God. That was the title of his book. So, Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. Here's a guy for 30 years, 3,000 people a week, that he was confessing Christ to them. But what does he do at the end? He exercises free will and says, I just can't buy that. I don't believe that this was all happened just six literal days. Well, he was hanging out with too many scientists or physicists who hold that to that intellectually, but the Bible is very, very clear. We quoted Exodus 20, verse 11, that says God created the heavens and the earth in six days, six 24-hour periods of time. And you say, that's impossible. And I say, that's the point. <laughs> is anything too hard for God? What about, what about the light, 20 billion? It takes years and years and years for that light to get there. No, it doesn't. All God has to say is let it be so all at one time, then it's done. There's nothing that he can't do. And his ways are past finding out. They're past finding out. Well, uh, Charles Templeton is not in heaven. Uh, If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father who is in heaven. But, He was the Billy Graham of Canada for this many years. Doesn't matter. He walked away. So in our comparison of of the studies this morning, the first one that I wanted to deal with is um, the idea of, yes, I believe in eternal security. But yes, I believe that's not all the Bible has to say about the issue. There's too many ifs in the Bible. All right, this isn't in my notes either. The gentleman's name is Paul Schultz. He's with the Lord now, he did his funeral. But he started the community church in Wapaka. And he was the founding person who got the church started. But they, in their doctrine, they would only hold to eternal security without considering all the scriptures. And he, instead of going to his home church that he planted, would drive down here every Sunday from Wapaka. Um, His wife died of cancer. He had a son that was underage. Paul got a brain tumor. 
went to be with the Lord. I did his funeral up in Wapaka, and I became legal guardian of his son. That's how close we were. And, but the only reason he came down, he handed me this book. I looked at it, if you continue, what's that all about? He says, Dwight, you're the only church that I know that gives both sides of the story, that tells this, and the church that I'm attending, that I planted, they will only stand on once saved, always saved, nothing's gonna take that away. And he says, that's not what my Bible teaches. You teach both sides. I'm staying here. And he stayed here until he ended up in a nursing home. And he's like, uh, like Mark. He's fellowshipping with Mark now. And, and Mark's home with the Lord. I met with um, Sharon and his, one of his daughters, uh, Nicole. By the way, you're all invited to the, the funeral. And you know, we have mixed emotions at time like this. But I told him a story about my mother when I know she was just suffering. And it's one thing when it's uh, a relative, distant relative, or next door neighbor, but when it's your mom, it's different, because we have to stay here. And I had, I gotten to the point when I saw her suffering, I said, Lord, just please take her home. She's more than ready. And that was my prayer. I said, I want you to die, mom. And I want you not to suffer anymore. I want you to, and that's what I was talking with Sharon about. Mark was having so many physical problems that um, as we talked about this, I know I said, I know what you're going through. And yet, um, that was her feelings also. Because she knows Mark is no more pain, no more suffering, brand new body, fellowshipping with the Lord. Trade places with him in a heartbeat, literally. Okay, so a bunch of stories are not my notes. Dwight, stick to your notes and don't go from your notes. Let's switch gears here and let's go back to Colossians and we'll go to our text where Paul was reading earlier, earlier, picking it up in verse 24 through 27. When he says here, I now rejoice in my sufferings. Well, why is he suffering? Remember that the Colossians is one of the four prison epistles. And so he's in chains as he's writing this letter. So when he says, I now rejoice in my suffering for you and uh, fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the affliction of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. I'm in prison right now and I'm suffering, but I'm doing it for you guys. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Now, the mystery which has been hidden from ages, from generation, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to be make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, here's the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm gonna stop with verse 27. And I want to talk about the mystery of the ages, Christ in you. And um, let's begin by turning to John chapter 14. John 14, I'm looking at verses 16 and 17. All the disciples, of course, were Jewish. The early church was Jewish. And in verse 16, he says, 
to them, I'm going to pray to the Father and he will give you another comforter or helper that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because, because it neither sees him nor does it know him, but you know him for he dwells, notice, with you. But he's going to be in you. So when he's talking to the disciples at this time, the Holy Spirit was present. And the Holy Spirit was using them. But the Holy Spirit was with them, but not in them. Everybody tracking with me so far? That's gonna happen um, at Pentecost, but Pentecost is in Acts and not in John. Turn with me to Mark chapter 14. And I'd like to address the false doctrine of dual covenancy. What do you mean, Dwight, dual covenancy? Well, there are those that teach that God has two covenants, one for Israel and one for the church, two. And we call it simply dual covenancy. Um, And I'm in Mark chapter 14, verse 22, where the Lord is instituting the Last Supper. We call it the Last Supper. Verse 22, and as they were eating, Jesus took and blessed bread and broke it and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And then he said to them, This is my body of the what? New covenant, which is shed for many. Now, if you're gonna have a new covenant, he's talking to Jews who had their own covenant with God. So if he's calling this one a new one, he's implying that the old one, much as the book of Hebrews, this is what I believe Paul was the writer of Hebrews, why he had to explain so many things well, they were used to high priests. They were used to sacrificing bulls and, and they could, um, um, they, they had, the only one that could stand in the presence of God was the high priest in the temple. The temple was divided up into two major rooms, the holy place and the holy of holies. And between the holy place and the holy of holies, there was this great big veil And when you went behind the veil, there was the Ark of the Covenant. And that's where the presence of God was. So in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, one person had interaction with God once a year on Yom Kippur, and that was it. And the reason the veil was there because the common man had no access to God. Only the high priest And again, most of the book of Hebrews, written to Hebrews, is Paul explaining we have a new high priest. Um, We have one sacrifice. We don't have have a morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice. No. Hebrews 10 says once for all, four times in that chapter. So he was offered one time. But he's got to explain this. The old covenant is null and void. How do you know that, Dwight? Because Jesus says so right here. I'm going to bring a new one. And a new one is going to have one sacrifice and the old is gone and a new one is instituted. Okay, Matthew chapter 27. Let's go a couple pages back to that. 
and keep in mind the mystery of the ages. Well, what is the mystery of the ages? Well, it goes on to say, is Christ in you? Well, God never dwelt um, in it with Israel, not in, inside of them. But when Jesus died on the cross, Matthew 27, verse 51, something happened in the temple. We're told, and behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom of the earth. And the earth quaked and the rocks were split. What are you saying, Dwight? Well, the curtain was there to keep people from having direct access to God. And now it's ripped down. So what is the Lord saying? Whosoever will can have direct access with God. God in you. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I told you I was going to make you turn this morning. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God? Huh. And the spirit of God dwells in you? What is that? Well, that's the mystery of the ages. God dwelling in man? We're Jews. We don't understand that's a mystery that God would be able to dwell and you are the temple of God if anyone defiles the temple of God God will destroy him Um, that's what happened to the person I was talking about earlier who had a walk with the Lord Uh, he defiled his body by living the the gay lifestyle and unfortunate to say he's not going to be in heaven hard words to hear but very biblical and very very true The mystery of ages, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's go back to Colossians and look at our last two verses. We made it through um, 27. Let's read verse 28. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Warning and teaching. The Bible said we were to exhort with doctrine, sound doctrine, rebuke if necessary. Um, well, we're living together, but uh, we're sleeping in separate bedrooms and, um, and so on and so forth. Well, I have to address that and say the, the guys at work know that? Yeah, they know about it. Um, Well, the Bible says you're to avoid even the appearance of evil. And even though uh, you have this understanding that you're in different rooms, your friends that aren't saved knows what's going on. And you talk to them, yeah, but we got separate rooms. And they go, no, I sure you do. (laughs) And um, you just blew your witness. So we're to avoid even the appearance of evil. You know, that's your job too, not just mine. And just let them know. Speak the truth in love. You know, that's just not right. It's, a, it's being a terrible witness. That's just one example that I could use of many. But we teach and we warn. Calvary Chapel is unique. Um, we teach the Bible Chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I said last week we ended off in 18. Let's pick it up in 19. And uh, this morning we're going to finish Colossians chapter 1. Well, just guess what we're going to be next week. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. 
And um, we have here in Colossians 27, we teach and we warn. Warn in what way? Well, that there really is a hell and there really is a heaven. And um, we warn people about the danger of hearing the gospel over and over and over again and um, not ever coming to the Lord. Um, I know of so many family members that are praying for other family members. They've heard it over and over and over again. And they're still not coming to the Lord. And the question is, well, why aren't they coming to the Lord? Well, John 3 says they love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Uh, I knew the truth, but didn't want to come to it. I was enjoying my sin too much. It took me a a while to, um, uncle. (laughs) And um, am I glad I did? All the things that the hippies were looking for in the 60s, love and peace, it was all a facade. We didn't have love, didn't have peace. But when we met Jesus, it was all wrapped up. We had the peace that passes human understanding. And the one thing, well, what's the rules that is following this Christian stuff? Oh, you gotta love God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind. That's it, that's it. The Bible says if you keep love, um, you don't owe any man anything and you will fulfill the commandments. So if Brandon's got a nice new Harley in his uh, um, garage here, and I love him, I'm not gonna steal it when he's not looking. And he doesn't have to worry about it because he knows I love him. <laughs> and that's, that's fulfilling the law. Thou shalt not steal. Well, if you're born again and you love your brother, you're not gonna be ripping him off. Another good place for an amen. You fulfill the law by fulfilling love, by abiding. The uh, mystery of the age is that Jesus Christ lives in you. Last verse um, is in Colossians 29. To this end I also labor, striving according to his workings, which works in me mightily. The word there is striving means to agonize. Paul is giving us his very personal testimony. This is what I'm laboring, striving to do. He's writing from prison. According to his working, which worketh in me mightily, oh, that this should be the desire of everyone today who is working out for Christ, that he would work in us mightily to do two things, to get out the gospel, that men might be saved, and then build them up, get them rooted and grounded in the faith. These are the two things the church should be doing. Close with an amen. Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, your word tells us that um, in Colossians that there's this mystery. And the mystery is the fact that in the Old Testament there was no real personal fellowship. But now, Lord, Um, the Holy Spirit was with us before we got saved and now he's living in us. 
uh, filling us many times to overflowing, uh, forgiving us every time we sin. Your word says, if we'll just confess it, that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I thank you for the wonderful promise that says your mercies are new every single morning. We can wake up with a clean slate. So we thank you for your word this morning, Lord, as we finish up chapter one. We pray that you continue to go before us uh, as we continue studying through your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.